We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. But as we see in the destruction of failure and feelings, sometimes God is behind your mess. Long story cut short, Boaz marries Ruth. They give birth to a child. And his name is Obed. Obed does his thing. Jesse comes. Jesse doesn't quite do his thing. But David came. David was passed over one time too many. And things began to look a bit different in the time of David. And God made some promises to David. And second, second Samuel 11, stuff happens around there with Beersheba coming in the picture. That was nasty. Yeah? You can't preach morality from that. And later on, chapter 11, the child is given birth, the child dies, chapter 12, and then shortly later, she gives birth, she takes in again for another son, and then Solomon is born. Yeah, Second Samuel chapter 7. Very quickly, give us NLT, Second Samuel 7. I read from verse 1 to 14. Second Samuel 7, 1 to 14. Verse 1, when King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest, from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a, a tent or tabernacle. Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind for the Lord is with you. Nathan just assumed because David felt like building a house for God, it was the will of God. So immediately Nathan gave, God, gave David permission. That's by the way. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house from the day I bought, brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I've always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet, no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I have never asked them why haven't you built me a house? Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, King James says the Lord of hosts, has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be leader of my people, Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have destroyed your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppose them as they've done in the past. Starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, stay with me here now, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. Switch here to New King James, and let's continue to verse 12. Verse 12. 
when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Keep going, we're going to verse 17. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So, Second Samuel chapter 12. Just go to chapter, chapter 12, verse 24. So you see that Nathan, the prophet, was speaking to David about his son, right? And the kingdom that will come. And of course, we know that son was Solomon. David comforted Beersheba after the loss of that first boy, yeah, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son, so she called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. And he sent word by the hand of Nathan, the prophet. So he called his name Jedediah. Jedediah means beloved of the Lord or beloved of Yahweh. Yeah? Because of the Lord. So Solomon was born unto David as a fulfillment of the prophecy from, from, from Nathan. And he reigned in his father's throne according to that word that came from Nathan in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Are we together? 1 Kings chapter 2. Very quickly, 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 10 to 12. We'll do a lot of Bible reading tonight, so just pay attention to it. So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron as king of Judah. In Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. See verse 12. Crucially, then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly Established again another express fulfillment of the word that came through Nathan about the throne of David in Second Corinthians seven and Second Samuel seven one to seventeen. Are we together? David um, Solomon had great wealth. First Kings chapter four, verse twenty. Actually twenty nine. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart, like the sands on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all of the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men. If you go back earlier on, I don't want to go on through all of that, but Solomon had such wealth that even he did not know what to do with it. He was getting so much weight of gold every day that it was ridiculous. In chapter 10, the queen of Sheba, who, was, who thought she was the wealthiest and wisest, queen of Ethiopia, she came and saw Solomon's runs. She passed out. Literally, First Kings chapter 10. She passed out. Solomon was wealthy and God gave him peace all around. His reign again lasted 40 years. Solomon reigned for 40 years. 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 42. 1 Kings 11 42. I'm telling you a story, right? 1 Kings 11 42. And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. Yeah? Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. If you now go into Second Chronicles 10, 11, 12, you will see that Solomon was the last king of a united Israel. 
So, ah, Holy Spirit, help me tonight. I don't want to, this is not a series, oh. So forgive me, if it's 10 o'clock tonight, and I'm here with 10 people, I will teach it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I will teach it. And if you stay, it will help you. There can be a natural fulfillment of a prophecy, and yet, allegorically speaking, figuratively speaking, symbolically speaking, the prophecy remains yet unfulfilled. The moment you understand that, a lot of questions will be answered in your work with God and your theology. I don't, this is not the day I'm going to deal with this. But some people believe that the second coming of Jesus has already happened in AD 70. Jesus came in his power and glory, you know, with the angels. And, you know, everything has happened. So now we are now living in that kingdom that Jesus promised that will have no end. So for, as far as they are concerned, this is paradise. And these guys will take you to Matthew. They will convince you. That every prophecy that was made was fulfilled of Israel in AD 70. And that salvation in the context of Jews was referring to them being saved from the invasion of Israel in AD 70. Because they said that, you know, this generation will not pass and all the, before all these things are fulfilled. And what generation is that? The generation in which Jesus was saying what he was saying. In fact, it gets even more controversial. Jesus says, there are some of you here who are alive. Who will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come in power and glory. And then you go, yeah, this thing, it was fulfilled at AD 70. You don't, again, I just taught you context. Go and study Matthew 16. When Jesus said that, he says in chapter 17 verse 1, days after this, they went on the mountain and they saw glory. They saw the kingdom come. So when Jesus was telling them that you, some of you here will not die until you see the kingdom, the glory, when was it fulfilled? The Mount of Transfiguration. Was it all the disciples that saw it? No, few. They saw the kingdom of God manifest fully. Just a, 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 an opening of it. That's why Peter said, You know what? We're not going down, no. Three tenths. Oh, yeah, yeah, build. They're not asking for who. We say one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. We will stay outside. It doesn't matter where we stay. Doesn't matter where we stay. This kingdom, this glory, we're not going down. So again, if you lift that statement out of context, you will interpret it to mean that he meant the kingdom that is coming. But when you understand that there can be layers to the fulfillment of Scripture, Scripture can be fulfilled and yet be unfulfilled. I just told you a lovely story, right? Creation, right up to Solomon. Let's start Bible study. John chapter 5, NLT 35, 39, go to 39. John chapter 5, verse 39, I beg you, if you don't have to go tonight, don't leave. You search the scriptures, Jesus is telling them, because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. The scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Keep going. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name and you have rejected me. 
Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. For you gladly honor each other, but don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Yet it isn't I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses, the law, will accuse you. In whom you... Go back, go back, go back. Verse 44. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. 46. If you really believe Moses, you would believe me. Because Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all about Jesus. Blood flow, leprosy, uncleanliness, murder, blessing, cursing, all that Moses wrote. was about Jesus. So Jesus tells them, on that day you are, you, are, you are hoping in Moses. Moses is the one that will tell you, see the person I was writing about. 47. But since you don't believe what he wrote, <laughs> how would you believe what I say? In Luke 24, Jesus had resurrected. He was walking on, he found himself walking on the road to Emmaus and found two disciples and began chatting with them. And they were like, are you a stranger in this place? They asked Jesus, do you not know what's going on? That Jesus came, did miracles, they caught him, they crucified him, they killed him, buried him. And that's the end of the story. Verse 26. Luke 24, 26. 25. 25. Luke 24, 25. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Keep going. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah will have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? 27. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus said, open Genesis. Let me show you me there. Exodus, the little basket of reeds, that was me. The water turning to blood, that was me. Firstborn, Passover, that was me. Red Sea, baptism, that was me. Pillar of fire, that was me, telling you the Holy Spirit is coming. Pillar of cloud, it was me showing you what glory is coming. It was all me. Deuteronomy, the law, it was all me. So it can get you to see that you can't help yourself and you need me. When I come, you can identify who I am. It was all me. Bear that in mind as we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And let's see verse 12. For when you, David, die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your own descendants your 
own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. Same verse, New King James. Let's stick in New King James for now. For when you... For when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. Small s, because it couldn't have been Jesus. That's what he thought. Who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Matthew, seed of David, right? Matthew chapter 1. It's Bible study, right? You open Bible a lot. If you have a Bible or a phone, please look at it. I know the screen is really cool. But it would be good for you to see some of these things in your own Bible. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. By the way, the two times that genealogies were traced in the New Testament, they ended with Jesus. Jesus never had a physical son, physical child. So the genealogies were just to show that this Christ came how the prophet said he will come. The book of the genealogy or the descendancy or the ancestry, Right? Of Jesus Christ, the son of the son of Abraham. Keep going. We're going very quickly. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Most of you just keep this in your Bible. It never means anything to you. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Let's keep going. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Tamar and, Tamar and, and uh, Perez begot Hezron. Yeah, and Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot, go back to NLT, just so the God begot doesn't give some people a headache. Ram was the father of Aminadab, Aminadab was the father of Nashon, keep going. Nashon was the father of Salmon, not the fish. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You know that story? The scarlet thread. I'm a sinner, I can't help myself. Let the blood speak for me. Boaz was the father, that was Jesus right there. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. So David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. We goes on to verse 17, right down to Adam. But you come and see that Jesus is traced as the son of David. Through the lineage of Solomon. On, on, on Jesus' father's side. So this Matthew talks about the genealogy of Jesus from the viewpoint of Joseph, his adopted father. Yeah? Luke chapter 3 traces the same genealogy through Mary, his mother, who either was the son of, or daughter of Heli, or descendant, the word says, of Heli, H-E-L-I. When you go home, you read it. Or married Joseph, and therefore, Joseph became plugged into the descendant of Heli. So both ways, in Matthew 1, that genealogy, if you go down to verse 17, traces through to David through Solomon and plugs Jesus in, right? Luke chapter 3 th traces the same genealogy to David through Nathan, David's younger son. So if you follow through Moses, uh, sorry, Joseph, Jesus' adopted father, it goes through Solomon and gets to David. If you go through Mary, his biological mother, it goes through Nathan and gets to David. You trace Joseph by adoption. He gets through Solomon to David and then up all the way and stops at Abraham. Yeah? If you trace Luke, it goes all the way through Nathan to Adam. But it goes through David. So either way you look at Jesus through Joseph or through Mary, he was the son of David. So when you see in Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, yes, Luke chapter 18, verse 35, 
you see a story there. It's Luke 8 doesn't tell us who it is. Matthew fills that in for us. But Luke chapter 18, verse 35, Jesus approached Jericho. A blind beggar, who we know is Bartimaeus, but Luke's account does not call his name. Right? Mark says there are two guys, two blind men. See me with an offering to explain. Same account in Mark, but it says there are two blind men. Matthew, one blind man, <laughs> whose name was Bartimaeus. But Luke doesn't mention that, okay? So Jesus approached Jericho. A blind beggar was sitting by the road. When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. Jesus the Nazarene. Oh, Nazarene. But this guy shouted. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know how the story ends. That, that revelation stopped Jesus in his tracks. Revelation 22. I think 16 or 19. Revelation 22. Revelation 22. If you're faster than me, it would be good. It would be very good. Jesus having I, G, I, I, Jesus. Can somebody say I, Jesus? I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David. The, in Luke and James, there says the root of David. I am the root and offspring. Jesus himself saying, I am the root and offspring of David. In, I came through David. I am the bright and morning star. So verse 12 of 2 Samuel 7, where it says, your seed after you from your body, that seed in its fullest sense was Jesus. So you start to see Solomon already as a type of Christ. Verse 13, 2 Samuel 7, 13. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 4 and, and chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5 up to verse 1, Solomon goes ahead to build a temple for God. You'd have thought that was the fulfillment of that prophecy that he will build a house for his name. Until you get to John chapter 2 where Jesus is saying in verse 18 where they asked him a question. Second Samuel, sorry, John chapter 2 verse 18. They asked Jesus a question. What signs, yeah, go on, go on. You have to be very quick with me. What signs do you show to us since you do these things? See verse 19. Jesus answered to them, destroy this temple, pointing to Solomon's temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Keep going. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and would you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. So they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Tell your neighbor you are God's building. 
First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. First Peter 2, 4 and 5. Stay with me. It's not a very exciting message, but you understand. Coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Go back to Second Samuel chapter 7 and verse 13. Look at it again now in context. He, that root of David, shall build a house for my name. And I will establish his kingdom, the throne of his kingdom forever. So the house that Nathan was prophesying was not Solomon's temple that he built. The house, first of all, was Christ, who said, in my father's house are many rooms. Mansions is a wrong translation. A house cannot have mansions. And then he makes it clear in John chapter 2 that the temple Jesus was referring to was his body. I'm sorry, sir. Who is the body of Jesus? The church. So who is the house of God? You are God's building. You are being built up a spiritual house. So when Nathan said to David, your seed will build a house for my name. He had me and you in mind. Solomon built a temple. Yes. On the surface, was it fulfilled in Solomon's time? Yes. But in the fullness, Christ. That's why I've said to you in this house that Christ is the fulfillment of every Bible prophecy. It's all about him. That's why John was told in Revelation that this, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If anybody prophesies, he must be revealing Jesus. So I said on Twitter, if your prophecy does not show men Jesus, shut up, quiet please. Are you prophesying? I saw, I saw, I saw, I saw in your village. I saw, I saw. I saw there's a port in your village. The port is always in the village. But you are the house that he's building. In 13b, it says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Like Mika rightly pointed out, the guy died 40 years. 40 years. And he died and was buried with his fathers. So his forever, in natural terms, came to an end. So clearly, that prophecy was beyond the scope of Solomon. Do we understand? Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne. You see, most times we don't read up to here. The verse doesn't end there now. That's not the end of the verse. Of, of the increase of the government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne 
of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward. How does it come to pass? The zeal of the Lord shall perform it. So of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David. Go back to 2 Samuel 7.13b. <laughs> he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. Who has been talked about? Verse 14. Go to verse 14. I will be his father and he shall be my son. Luke chapter 1 verse 34. Mary heard Gabriel out and said, okay, I understand what you're on about. But how will these things be? Seeing as I do not know a man. Ah! The angel answered to her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. I will be his father, Nathan tells David, and he will be my son. And Gabriel tells Mary, he that will be born, the Holy One that will be born, will be called Son of God. Hebrews chapter 1. Chapter 1. At the end of today, some of you will learn how to see Christ in the entire scripture. That's why I'm doing this. It might not excite somebody, it's okay. But it's Bible study. It's not meant to excite you. But it's meant to excite you. When it has finished, not exciting you. Selah. Hebrews chapter 1, I don't have time to go into all of that. Read the whole chapter from verse 1 to at least 14. But I'll just pick a few, a few, um, uh, Holy Spirit. Let me just read it, yeah? Please. Hebrews 1, 1. I love it, I love it. Oh, every time I come again, I come upon it, I love it. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, eh, has in these last days, oh, it tickles me, spoken to us by his son. This entire dialogue is about who now? The son. Who he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, which he had by himself, purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, mm -hmm, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. In convincing them about the priesthood of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews asked them, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today, I have begotten you. And quoting 2 Samuel 7, 14. Paul asks them, to which angel did God ever say, today, stay there. Go back, now stay with me. Today, I begotten you, I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. Second Samuel 7, 14. I say it's Bible study, right? Yeah. 
I'll be his father. And he'll be my son. Speaking of Solomon. But speaking beyond Solomon. Speaking of Isaac. But speaking beyond Isaac. I will be his father. And he shall be my son. Hebrews quotes that exact text. Verse 14b. 2 Samuel 14b. Is anybody getting excited? If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the son of men. At this point, you have to pause. And of course, it's already clear. But humanistically speaking, the principle of interpreting scripture, we have a problem at this point. Because the problem here is if he commits iniquity. So at this point, somebody will argue it cannot be of Christ. Because to justify this to be of Christ, you have to make Christ commit iniquity. Which he didn't commit. Look, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Who committed no sin? Nor was the seed found in his mouth. First John 3 5. First John 3 5. I'm not doing too badly. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So the problem is becoming a conundrum. Isaiah 53 and verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Our conundrum has become a quandary. <laughs> Hebrews 7.26 Hebrews 7, 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens. Hmm. Our quandary just took on a whole new dimension. Hebrews 4, 15. As I told you it was Bible study, right? How, how do you explain that if he commits iniquity until you understand the point at which something is a type of something and at the point at which it becomes an anti-type of that thing. So Noah's ark is called an anti-type of baptism. Why? Baptism comes from the word baptizo, which means to immerse something fully inside something. How is baptism a type of Noah's ark? When Noah did not touch the water, floated on water. In, in fact, he was saved from the water. As opposed to baptism, in quote, saving you by the water. So the writer says, or Peter says, that that is an anti-type of baptism. In other words, in looking at what a thing is not, you can appreciate what that thing is. 
So of the man Solomon, if he commits iniquity, I would chastise him. Christ at this point is, how many of you saw my Twitter post when I said Moses as a type of Christ? We together. So at this point, Jesus is an anti-type of Solomon because he did not and cannot commit iniquity. On the contrary, to fulfill this scripture, he became sin. Because somebody will have to be chastised by the rod of, next line, men, and with the blows of the sons of men. So he becomes sin. A higher level of responsibility for evil than committing iniquity. Do you understand? He became sin. If you would chastise somebody for committing iniquity, you would kill him for being sin. And he became sin. Isaiah 53, we see that. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for we know that though he knew no sin, he became sin. That you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Romans 8 verse 3. For what the law could not do in that he was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in Christ because the word became flesh. So when he condemned sin in the flesh, it wasn't saying he condemned sin in humanity. He was saying he condemned sin in Christ who had become sin. Because Christ is the word made flesh. And because, go back to the previous line on there. Because he came in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, God condemned sin in Christ. So he was chastised. For iniquities, bruised for infirmities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. So we see again that right there was not Solomon in view. It was Christ in view. Christ in view. Acts 3.14 It's not a series. Just, just sharing for one Tuesday. Is that okay? But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. Romans 4.25. Romans 4.25. Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up because of our justification. Let's finish this. Two more verses. Second Samuel 7 verse 15. We're just going through that narrative of Solomon's prophecy, right? Second Samuel 7:15. But my mercy, Nathan tells David about his son, shall not depart from him. Hebrews 5:7 to 10. Hebrews 5:7 to 10. We see how 
mercy of God comes upon us. Hebrews 5, 7 to 10. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Go on. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. First Peter 2.10 Jesus obtained mercy for us by the obedience he learned by the things that he suffered. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Christ found mercy, learning obedience by the things he suffered, obtained mercy, and now passes that mercy on to us. Because we are his offspring. Verse 16 and the final verse. 2 Samuel 7, 16. Christ in Solomon. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Genesis 49 verse 10. I'm done. Genesis 49, 10. See what is being said when the 12 tribes of Israel were being blessed. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. So you see that Shiloh has come and gone. Because Jesus is Shiloh. We have him who is Shiloh we don't need an it called Shiloh. Because the it was a type and shadow to point to him coming. Just as there is no longer a temple called church that God lives in, there cannot be the existence of a shadow now when the reality is here. That's why we can't fall over anointing oil when the anointing lives in you. Anointing oil is a shadow. Its job is done. You can't prop up a shadow when the reality is here. First John 2.20 You have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things because the anointing of God lives inside you. The anointing is not an it. The anointing is Him. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. We can't be living in shadows when the thing is here. Paul tells them in Colossians chapter 2. There's no power in oil. As we pray and bless this oil now, it becomes holy. How? It's a, it's a theological doctrine called transubstantiation. It's not scriptural. It's the same thing they tell you about how when they bless the bread, it becomes the body of Christ. That's nonsense. Bread is bread. Wine is wine. That's why you got, they got drunk on the wine, not on the blood. And when they were drunk on the wine, the blood still covered for them. I know some people don't like me for this. But the scripture, let God be true. Let every man be alive. You can't dwell in the shadow when the reality is here. 
You can't call it building a church when we are the church. And you have seen it over and over in scripture. But Peter told them, for you know, he does not dwell in buildings made with human hands. What else do you want to hear? The reality is here. You can't dwell in the shadow. You can't be chasing oil. Goya, Goya. Revelation 11:15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud, loud voices in heaven, saying, "The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever." So Nathan is prophesying to David about his son. It appears as though every element of the prophecy came to pass in Solomon. But no, it wasn't fully fulfilled until Christ. Therefore, every prophecy that naturally fulfilled itself in Solomon was still a type and shadow of what was to come. The reality of which is Christ. So God sets up narratives in scripture to instruct us of however real. That's why Paul says the things that are not seen are eternal. The things that are seen are temporal. However real a thing is in scripture, it points to the reality which is even more real than it. And I hope this exercise has been able to show you that. Broaden your horizon of scripture. Don't just read stuff and see goats and see cows and see dogs and see lambs and see water and see fire and see... See Christ. Hidden in plain sight. Stretch. Break free from Bible stories. That's when you're a believer. That's when you're rightly dividing the word of truth. Both written and revealed. So open your heart. Let him take you through a journey of the word. See Christ, it's so rich. You read Genesis, you see him there. Exodus, Leviticus, all the stories, you see him there. Now you don't have to force him into it, just glean him out of it. You're not forcing him into the narrative. You just see him, just lift him out of it. Exegete him from it. He's real. He's real. And when it says all scripture talks about him, it's not a lie. I, I, I hope you have been able to see that. It's not a lie. All scripture talk about him. So you read Solomon, he's not the wisest man that ever lived. He's not all of that stuff. No. That was just a minute fraction, a type of the kingdom that was to come. Solomon cannot be the wisest man when we have the wisdom of God and Christ is that wisdom. Solomon was just a type. So, sir, when you go to Proverbs, you go to Proverbs in the light of Christ. Proverbs 131, it has some good nuggets in there, but only in the light of Christ. You read Psalms, yes. You look at Psalms in the light of Christ. Let them flee before you like chaff before the wind. Let them scatter. Let them be chased in the... You cannot pray that, sir. Because God has made his enemies his footstool. And the enemies of God are not human beings. The enemies of God are sin and death. The last enemy, the last enemy is death. And death, where is that thing? 
for the law of the spirit of life in Christ this concludes Jesus, this message thank you for listening death, and we hope it has been a blessing death, to you for inquiries and further information please send us an email to info at the basilea commission.org so before say, Arise, or Lord, visit our social media they have been scattered they have been spoiled on the cross yes. made an open show of this arm